On today's episode, I chatted with Jennifer Lewis, the CEO and co-founder of Lex, an app for finding queer community wherever you are. Jen and I talked about her journey to getting to where she is, not just as a powerful woman in tech, a powerful queer woman in tech, but also about her own personal journey with her sexuality, with finding her community, with finding her true purpose, with finding her people. And what I took away from this conversation was that we end up where we need to be by being who we are, being true to ourselves. And it can often be scary, it can be daunting, but there's so much power and possibility in exploring the world through our own lens and through our own path authentically. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, as you know, we like to get started by asking everyone to introduce themselves because we don't like to define people or introduce them. So, how would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Jennifer Rhiannon Lewis. I am CEO and co-founder of Lex. And Lex is a social app uh, to help LGBTQ people find community. I am British. I live in Brooklyn in New York. I've been here eight years. And I'm also a writer and a painter. Amazing. Um, thank you for being here. I have so many things I want to ask you about, but to get started, and I like, as I was thinking about what I wanted to start here, I had to catch my own bias a little bit and question myself where I like, I looked at your journey and was like, oh, it doesn't feel like you've had a quote unquote traditional journey into becoming a CEO. And I was like, what is a traditional journey? And I realized in my mind, a traditional journey was very much like a dude hopping from job to job, working his way up a ladder. And I don't know that many women who end up in tech as CEOs. Um, so what has your journey been like? If you had to tell the story of like how you ended up running this powerful, beautiful thing, what has your journey been like? Yeah, so my journey, I'll start at the very beginning uh, because my journey to you know, being a CEO in tech is very much connected to my own personal journey. And those two things um, really interweaved to get where I am today. So. Uh, I grew up in a rural town or a small suburban town in England in the UK, a town called Ipswich, and I had Christian parents and um, you know, raised, went to church, went to school, and I have no memory of meeting a single LGBTQ person or a single person that identified as gay until I was 22 when I went to university. The only childhood memory I have of the word gay was a playground slur. It was a thing that kids in my school would, you know, if someone did something wrong or bad, they would be like, oh, that's gay. And it was just this word that meant bad. And I didn't even connect it to sexuality. It was just like gay equals bad. That was like the only, that was the one message that I like have ingrained in my psyche from being a kid. And then I went to university. I was lucky enough to go to Oxford. And I remember meeting like my first openly gay person that I'd ever met. And I was just like, so enamored by these people by kind of like this one friend Ollie and it he just looked you know he just was so ex like in his own body and so himself and I, but I didn't really think anything of it until years later um, I moved to London I started to work in advertising so very much not tech in kind of brand and marketing um, met a man got married moved to the states and and that gets to be around 30 and I'm working in advertising, helping brands like Nike do marketing and brand. Um, I have a beautiful husband. I have a kind of a husband, a, a beautiful friends, a beautiful life, but it doesn't feel like my life. I 
I have this sense that I'm in somebody else's life or like I have all these things around me that are the trappings of success, home, life, job, husband, but it just didn't feel like where I was supposed to be. And, uh, you know, and then I ended up falling in love with a female friend and realizing that I was gay and you know, through that process, going through a divorce, quitting my job and just really looking. And it was really a, a turning point in my life for realizing that I had put myself in all of these boxes and I had followed all the rules that I thought I had to follow, but they weren't the ones that were the ones that were right for me. And they, uh, yeah, they were actually, they, those rules were actually trapping for me. So I went through a big process of saying, okay, if I was going to create my own rules for life or my own rules of play, like what would they look like and where would they be? And that was when I met my co-founder at Let's. I can continue on that story. Yeah, I, I'm curious about, I didn't know if you were going to dive right into your story. Mm -hmm. you did, so thank you um, for being so generous with it. I'm curious about it must have taken, it takes a lot of courage to at any point say, this isn't, this isn't working for me, right? Or like, this isn't my life and I'm going to, to follow what feels right for me. And were there like, were there people you were turning to um, who were doing that? Like, where were you? It's such a simple question. and such a big question. Like, where were you mustering this courage from? Or what was keeping you going? Were there things you were doing? Was it kind of just like blind faith of like, I just, I need to feel more like myself. How, how did it manifest for you? Yeah, I wish that I had people that I was turning to. And again, now I'm building a community app, which I think I, the reason I'm doing that is because I'm building the community that I wish I'd had when I was making these choices. Um, I didn't confide in anyone at all. I kept everything <laughs> hidden, everything bottled up. And I think actually that like keeping everything so hidden meant that it, it almost just erupted out of me. And it was like doing, there was no choice but for me to take this action. Like it was like such a, strong feeling in me that I'd kept quiet for so long it it was just like once I'd opened it up there was no putting it back in um, but I yeah I did it I wish in, in throughout the journey then I connected and I find community and friends and started to share but that decision moment was was really solo sadly <laughs> I'm guessing also it wasn't one decision moment right it was probably like a, a series of like dominoes of mm -hmm. opens up once and you're like oh I can be myself or I realize that there's more here and I can say it out loud or live it out loud. And it just keeps going after that. Mm -hmm, exactly. I remember having a conversation with my therapist at the time because I'd just chosen to leave my marriage. I was living on friends' sofas. You know, I didn't have, I was homeless and I was deciding to quit my job like that same time. And I remember saying, and I remember everyone around me being like, what are you doing? Like, why are you you need some stability. Why would you quit your job when you've also left your marriage and you've also like left your home? You don't, you need one thing that's the same. But for me, it was once you realize, once you change one choice and you do one thing that seems big and dramatic and you realize that you're still alive on the other side and actually you're more connected to who you are, then almost the other choice, it becomes easier than to make those other big choices is what it felt like for me. And did you have any sort of like North Star or like guiding principle, which I am very conscious of it's only in hindsight that we generally can like identify those things. But when you were making decisions where you talked about the boxes being trappings, right? Of like, this is what the world had told you you should be and like whether it was the job, sexuality, what your family should look like, what your community should look like. And you started knocking those walls down and creating space for yourself. Were you like chasing a certain kind of feeling? Were you chasing, uh, like what were you trying to, how were you deciding which direction to move basically? 
I think one of my core values is freedom. So that I don't think I used that language at the time, but it was really about is taking this action going to help me expand and feel bigger and like open up more space for my life and for myself, or is it a decision that's going to make me feel smaller and shrink me? And it started to become like very physical. Like sometimes I would think about doing one thing or the other and one would feel big and spacious and yeah, expansive, I think is the bigger word. And the other world, the other decision would feel, you know, like my body would contract and it, the only way I could take that decision would be if I was to make myself smaller in some way. So yeah, I think that would be the guiding principle of like, is this an expansive decision or is this a, con a contractive decision? I really love that. I, I think a lot about that in certain parts of my life and in other parts, it's so hard to even like know what will be expansive. And, mm -hmm. and I find that you have to just try, right? Which is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you might try and think it's one way and realize it's another and that's okay. Cause you have the knowledge that, and then you try again next time. And I think also there's also different times of your life and different moments and what might feel one way at 27 might feel different at 37 and 47 and 57. So just, I think the other guiding principle for me is that it's okay to change that being fixed, really like the idea of fluidity, which I guess, I guess is very connected to LGBTQ identities and sexuality. Just the idea that there is so much fluidity in like who we are as humans and how we live our lives and embracing that and accepting it and finding the beauty in that rather than feeling like, we have to be fixed in, in who we are and what we do. And how did you take that sense of freedom, expansiveness, fluidity, and translate it into building something in a space which, in theory, perverts all those values, right? But like tech is so bro -y often. It's, it's not a space generally where like less than 1% of founders who are LGBTQ plus get venture funding less than... Mm -hmm. 2% of all money goes to women. Like it's such a tiny percentage of people who share your identities, who look like you, who care about the things you do. And I have lots of friends who are founders from different marginalized identities who will talk about just entering a room and being like, okay, well, no one here gets what I'm talking about. But you took the, all of these values and you said, okay, with, with Kelly, we're going to make this thing. And I'm curious about where their decision points of like, okay, yes, this is going to work, or I want to do this. Was it again, like blind faith of like move in the direction of what feels good? How, how are you thinking through it? Yeah, there's a couple of pieces there. So first I'll dive into the story of Lex, the origin story. Mm -hmm. I think that's helpful context. And then I can talk a little bit about like tech landscape and VC and yeah. there's kind of two pieces there. So I'll start with the story of Lex. So Lex, uh, the original kind of idea was Lex, uh, for Lex was from my co-founder, Kelly Rakowski, who is an incredible person and yeah, has kind of been such a, such a great partner for me in this journey and has really kind of taught me so much personally and professionally. And really we met in 2019 and this was when I had, it was about, I think 2018 was kind of when I realized I was gay and kind of had this big moment. So I was very fresh in my LGBTQ identity and I was really seeking queer community and I was really looking for you know that was such a struggle for me and a really kind of traumatic moment of my life I I was like how can I help other people how not have to wait until they're in their 30s to like have this moment how can people do that earlier and have the support they need earlier so that was the mindset I was in when I met Kel Kel and I met in a co-working space called The Wing which was this amazing co-working space 
uh, which had a lot of like entrepreneurial women in New York in. And Kel had this Instagram account called um, Her Story and Personals, which uh, was documenting her own personal coming out journey. She also came out in her early 30s and she got obsessed with um, the history of like lesbian history. And she would go to these archives in New York that had a lot of history. And she found this magazine called On Her Backs. And On Her Backs was the very first women-run like erotica magazine published in the States in the 70s. So it's like a seminal piece of pop culture if you're into like queer history in any way um, from, a, from a kind of a woman-led lens. And on the back of this magazine, the women would write in and uh, submit these personal ads and it would be these short pieces of text where they would say who they were and what they were looking for. And they would use language that was so expressive and so raw and so real and Kelly like found this and just fell in love with them and then she forgot she started an Instagram where she would ask people to on a Google sheet submit their own personals and then she would turn them into Instagram posts and people would get in the DMs and start to connect and I had found this Instagram and then that's when I met Kel. Kel and I met she was in a co-working space she was talking about it I was like oh I think that's this Instagram that I love and I was too embarrassed to interrupt her. And then that evening I got in her DMs and said, hi, I love what you're doing. At that time I'd already transitioned into working in startups. I was helping early stage startups. And I said, hey, I, I think I can help you turn this into something. Um, um, and so that was really where our friendship began. We would meet in this co-working space and we would just start to discuss like, how would this thing grow? And so, and, and we really spent a couple of years where I was working in other startups and Kel was uh, kind of like leading this and I was kind of there by her side. And the journey of Lex is, it went from the Instagram, we crowdfunded $50,000 from Kickstarter to build our like MVP product, which is our minimum viable product for the first app. Uh, we launched it into the app store. Kel and I were both in our day jobs when it launched and it just got this traction and uh, we threw parties in New York, New York Times came to our opening party and it just got this traction. It just like spun out mm -hmm. and it just came to a head of realizing, okay, there's like something, this way of connecting with people that is, uh, it's not about like swiping on Tinder selfies. It's about like a rawness of human emotion and putting yourself out there and doing that to find friends, to find community. There's something here. And then, so that was really, and then that was really kind of the decision point to, um, to go into the more traditional tech landscape and, and kind of start the journey of raising capital. I also love that it took, at least from where I sit, a leap of faith again and some bravery and like going to this person's DMs and being like, hey, I I don't know if you said I overheard your conversation, but like also I want to, I want to work with you or like I love what you're doing and how can we come together where it can seem so daunting to do that, right? Like, is this person gonna respond to me? Well, maybe not, but still like the the sense of, I have to put myself out there. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's been my biggest life lesson in you know, the last seven years or so is just like, yeah, putting yourself out there, taking that risk to like say the thing that you want to say or be the person that you want to be. And yeah, nine times out of 10, you might get rejection or silence or nothing. But the one time that you get the response of someone that's aligned with you, like it can change your life. Like I would never have predicted 
that single, you know, DM I made on Instagram on a Wednesday night would mean that I'm now, you know, CEO of this tech company. But that I think is the, the yeah, one of the powerful things I think of like when you put out into the world who you really are, it might repel some people, but it will it'll magnetize the people that are really meant for you. And I think that's can be scary to do. But the more I've lent into that in my life, the more I think it has opened up the right opportunities for me and shut the doors of the wrong ones too, I guess. Do you still find yourself doing that now that you're, I mean, I, I feel like we're always growing and always learning and always becoming, but you're much more established in, in a space now. Do you still find yourself putting yourself out there in uncomfortable ways? Yes. <laughs> and I still get in people's DMs. <laughs> in fact, last weekend, last week, I flew to San Francisco to go and meet um, a VC who I want to invest in, Lex. And I read on the plane on the way there, I read a TechCrunch article about this app that was called T2, that was a Twitter-like app, but it was very much about creating a safe space and creating like a civic discord discourse. And they had a lot of ways they were building this company that was very about like bu yeah, building safe online digital spaces that I really admired. And I read that it shut down. And so while I was on the plane, I found the founder and the CTO on LinkedIn. And I saw that he was in San Francisco, the CTO, and I saw that and I was on the way to San Francisco. So I just sent a message saying, hi, like, I'm on the way to San Francisco. Can you meet tomorrow morning? You know, this is why I love what you do. And here's what I'm doing. And then the very next morning, I like took a car and drove two hours north to where this person lived and like met him for coffee for an hour and had the most amazing chat. And who knows, you know, maybe I'll work with this person, maybe, you know, but that one hour chat, I learned so much. And um, yeah, I think just, and that was just, you know, all that, that story of events happened within like 12 hours for me being on the plane to like meeting him. So I, I really, yeah, that's kind of my top tip, I think, is just always putting yourself out there. And there's many times I send these DMs and no one replies to me, but the ones that do, it's, it's worth it. <laughs> I was going to ask about that because I think there's also something to be said of just like being real about not everyone's going to reply to your DMs, right? So many people don't get the response to the first two and are like, well, I tried that was it. We'll never reach out into the world again, but you, you keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I, my transition from advertising a brand strategy into startups, that took me 18 months of trying. And that took me 18 months of cold reaching out to all of the companies that I wanted to work for and sending them my resume and like trying to find that like, it, it took me yeah, 18 months of just continually telling people this is what I wanted to do, this is what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do. Um, and and every time a recruiter came to me with a job in advertising, I would say, I don't want to, thanks for that job, but actually this is the kind of job that I want. And then mm -hmm. eventually after 18 months of continually trying and trying, um, one of the recruiters that I'd spoken to a year ago had come back and said, oh, now I have this job that might be relevant for you and it allowed me to make the transition. So. Yeah, I think in when you look at other people's journeys, it can feel really easy and it can feel like, oh, well, they just got so lucky or they just had the right connections. Um, but that's only because you're seeing the yeses, you're not seeing the noes. And I think staying consistent and focused on what you want and seeing that, the, you know, even when you get the, the no responses or the noes, I think is, 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 can be really fruitful if you can stick it out. <laughs> how is it fruitful? Do you mean it's fruitful in that like you will eventually get the right yes? Or how, like, how are you dealing with the no's or the no responses? Like say this person hadn't responded to your DM. Um, I doubt you would have 
like been terribly upset, right? Or been like, oh, well, we'll try again. But say you're someone like putting putting themselves out there and they've gotten a lot of no's or no responses or you when you were at that beginning of like, I want to transition into tech. What was getting you through the the struggle of it? Oh, good question. Oh, I think uh, two ways. I think at the time, I just knew that what I was doing was what I didn't, I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So that distaste of what I was, not distaste, but that uncomfortableness of where I was at was enough to keep me motivated because there's, there's discomfort on both sides. It's like I stay where I am and that's uncomfortable or I put myself out there and get no response or worse, get a bad response and that's uncomfortable. So like both options in that case are uncomfortable. And I was like, well, if I'm already uncomfortable, I might as well just keep staying uncomfortable. So I think that need to move out of where I was um, at the time, I would say now, but this is probably just through like hindsight and just more experience of doing it is again, realizing that if if it's a no, it's probably for the best. (laughs) It's better to be, and and maybe you might keep putting yourself out there in a way that actually isn't what you're supposed to be doing. And maybe if after, you know, years and years of trying, it's you're not going anywhere, then maybe that is a sign that maybe you need to try something different. And so I think this, um, yeah, even realizing that sometimes like that no can teach you something and that can be, that can still be useful. I also like that what you said of like, maybe it isn't the right thing of sometimes we get so wedded to like one idea of how to do a thing. And like, I like to think at least for myself that like the kind of work I'm doing in the world can, it will always be the same, but like the, the avenues for it can keep changing. Right. So if you're like rock, knocking on all the wrong doors for you, you're going to keep getting no's, but maybe you like turn left and knock on some more doors and you'll get a lot of yeses then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And how did that, so that mindset then going into the tech space, which is pretty homogenous um, in terms of who ends up running things, who ends up getting investment, who ends up like in tech crunch or wherever it is. Um, how did you navigate that space? Was were you like, was there any trepidation? Was how, like, how were you navigating a space where a lot of people around you didn't share your identities? Mm-hmm. I would say my approach to navigating this space is probably some blind faith. And what I mean by that is if you look at the statistics about what it takes to succeed and what you have to look like and who you have to be, then it's so it can be crippling and it can be so overwhelming. And I think that, I think if I tune too much into that lens of storytelling, it can just make me feel like I, well, I might as well give up now. I might as well stop. Um, So I think for me, actually not just tuning into like, okay, well, what am I building? How am I going to get there? Who are people that I need? And just really staying focused on like my own journey and not thinking about uh, all of the other like, Although kind of all of that broader context is kind of one thing. But then I think the other thing is finding the people that are similar to you. And although I, you know, the world of tech and VC is very white, is very male-led, very non-LGBTQ, um, I have been lucky enough to like build a network of founders and the people in tech that are um, people of color that are LGBTQ, that are um, from, you know, more diverse backgrounds. Um, 
And I think because of that, because I've been, been building those communities, actually my world of tech looks like that. And it's only every now and again when I'll go to like a VC dinner and I will sit around a table with 18 like white men and realize, oh, I, I'm different to everyone else. But that doesn't, but I'm lucky enough that I've created like in, I've collected enough people around me that are, that I identify with that, that allows me to expand my, um, my influences and be like, oh no, they're succeeding. They're succeeding. So therefore I can succeed. So yeah, I think building that network of people that are doing it the same way as me has been really one of the like the most important things I think to keeping me focused. I think it also like in so many ways sounds a lot like what you hear from activists or what we hear from activists when I talk to activists like coalition building, right? Like we don't all have to be in the same exact fight, but we're all fighting the same forces or we're all like moving in the same direction and there's so much power and having people to turn to who have your back or who are going through a version of the same thing, which mm-hmm. sounds like you've been very intentional in doing. And I'm mm-hmm. curious about, was that always your approach or was that something you stumbled into as you started to build Lex and realize you needed these people around you? Yeah, it, it it's intentional now. It wasn't at the beginning. I think some of it was, so where I first met Cal in this co-working space, that was a co-working space that was more focused on women and non-binary people and it was more focused on kind of entrepreneurial spaces so that was really the very that was the first moment when I walked into a space a physical space and I was like whoa wow all of these people in here look like me and everyone is like working on some amazing idea everyone is super smart and brilliant and I would listen to these meetings and calls like I listened to Kels and I was like wow there there are just like this is amazing. So I think that was the first physical space I went into where I was like, oh, this is what like being a business looks like in a way that isn't the way that I had thought you had to be. So that um, was really foundational. And I met a lot of people there that I built relationships with. And then I think more actively now I'm in this role as CEO, I'm really, I've been very int- much more intentional about finding my like, community of in, of other people in this space. And the way I've been doing that has been you know, go like finding a lot of that's been kind of digital into physical. So, you know, me going to networking events and meeting someone and actually following up and like meeting them again and actually like making that connection or saying yes to the random invite from someone that I don't know or joining that Slack group and like actually participating in it. Um, or, um, you know, my, we're lucky enough to have found uh, investors of Lex that have other portfolio founders that, I wanted to connect with so like actively reaching out to those people and saying like hey can we you know can we chat can we get dinner so just really so more recently I've been very intentional about it and that's because I suddenly realized when I've been at my worst in my life is when I've tried to do it alone you know like we talked about at the beginning and (laughs) if that taught me anything was that like that's not the way to do it so I've you know now I'm just so much focused on building my own community and then of course like through Lex helping other people build build that community because yeah the biggest I've switched for me in my life is realizing how how much we all need that and how important it can be it's also interesting because you obviously are someone who's like steward of the creator of co-creator of a community right which is a very like virtual it is a virtual community and I imagine it's like thinking of where we started this conversation of like younger you growing up in rural England not knowing any um out queer people around you 
and looking looking for those stories and that sounds very much like Alexis like very much the response to that mm-hmm. but then there's also the loneliness of like just connecting online if that makes sense where we all exist so much in a virtual world and on our screens and especially after the pandemic and through it where we had to like really like make our circles much more virtual it feels at least to me in here in London that there is a a deep desire for everyone to just like meet each other in person and like remember what it is to be in community with people and to be surprised as well where online it feels very intentional where you have to like go and seek out a certain kind of community where you find the slack mm-hmm. groups or founders you find five lex you find whatever it is that you're you're seeking out um but then when you're in person, you don't know who's going to be at the next table having that call, which you can overhear. And I'm curious about how you think about that as someone who exists in both spaces, obviously, and is like building one very intentionally. Yeah, so a really important part of Lex is physical community and is IRL. So one of our founding principles for how we build the app is, you know, we're an we are an online space, but we want to facilitate offline connection, off mm-hmm. offline connection. And that's really, really important to me building a social app when I think about what's the what's the outcome in people's lives that I want to have. And I think about the statistics around, you know, how the negative impacts of like spending too long stuck doom strolling in a social app and actually how that is like not good for your mental health long term and um, what we know the most beneficial thing for your like long-term health is actually like your community and the people around you like we we know that from science and from like longitudinal data so i think a lot about okay if i'm going to build a digital product how can i build one that is going to have healthy out healthy positive outcomes in people's lives and so for me that's about getting people offline and getting them off the app so the, the core of our Lex experience is that it is local. So you go onto the app and you see a feed, but that feed is from people who are in your neighborhood. And you can set your location radar to, you know, things from like one, one mile to 50 miles. But what that means is I'm here in Brooklyn right now. If I open up the app and I start scrolling, I see posts from people that are you know, potentially like 10 minutes away from me that I could, and there might be a post saying, hey, I'm running, I'm going roller skating on the weekend, who wants to come? Or I'm hosting a book club, who wants to join? Or, hey, I want to go on a date tonight, so I want to go on a date. Or, hey, I've just gone through a breakup and I really just need to chat to someone, could someone meet me for coffee? Um, So it's really this, so all of the posts in the feed are from people around me that are seeking some form of connection and that will depend you know, some people want dates and hookups other people want friends and community other people want a fun event to go to other people want to play sport um, do art together um, but it's really it's so people are using the digital space but really the outcome is to connect with someone in real life and we allow people to then you know respond to a post in the feed and they can either dm each other or they can form groups so we have um we have lots of groups on Lex for people around shared interests. So um, I'm in a group in Brooklyn called like the Chardon Gay Wine Club. And it's like queers who like to drink wine in Brooklyn. Um, so really, I, so to go back to, your, to go back to your question about how I think about online and offline, I think you know, we live in a digital world. You know, I was someone who I think I got you know, I was, I was old enough to like exist before mobile phones. Um, but now we have, you know, digital connectivity is core to our lives. And it's just about how can we use those tools to, to facilitate offline connection. And yeah, I think about that a lot, both in my personal life, but in the way that I want to build this tech product, I want to build a tech product that is serving 
is serving people. And for me, that's about like, yeah, bringing people together um, in person. And I'm curious about like, for you, are you like, as someone who is in a very public facing world in leadership, as a queer woman, um, the world, the, the world and other social apps isn't as friendly always. And how do you like deal with, you have created a kind of community, but then also like for all of us, when we get on Instagram, we get on TikTok, we get on wherever else we get on and it's onslaught, right? And then if you have any sort of marginalized identity, um, it, it's furthermore, it's magnified and it can feel so overwhelming at times if like, well, if I'm going to say anything, if I'm going to exist out loud, it like I, I need a buffer or I need something to like keep me safe almost where I have to exist in these spaces. Right? I can't just exist in the spaces I want to exist in. Like I imagine you can't just exist in Lex as much as you would want mm-hmm. to be in these other places to find the other people to DM and to keep building. Mm-hmm. And it can be so daunting. And so many of the people we talk to, like you who have public facing roles or just who are women on the internet or queer people or people of color on the internet, just you get a lot of shit, right? Like that's just part of the deal. And it's it's a little bit of like, how do you how do you keep going? Like think say you're talking to like a 21-year-old who's kind of following in your footsteps in their own way and figuring out, I get so much hate online. What do I do? What would you say to them? Yeah, it's it's tough. I think just firstly I would say, yeah, it's it's okay that this might make you feel shitty sometimes. Sorry for swearing. Um, it's okay that it might make you feel upset. It is hard to receive things in your inbox or in real life that are hurtful. You know, that's it's firstly that like it's it's okay that that is upsetting. Um, that makes you normal and human. It doesn't make you weak. It's okay. Um, one of the things that has really helped me is. Uh, thinking about who who are the people that are actually influential in my life and like whose opinions do I actually care about and I think it starts from you know my friends and my family and the people that really know me I care about their opinions and then I care about you know the people that I'm building on Lex and I care about their opinions and it kind of you know I start to think about like who are the who are the people in my life that really their opinions they actually know me or they actually have the context and their opinions matter and if they're saying the same thing as the other people then maybe I should listen and pivot and take some action differently Um, but I think it often I think when people come at you online so much of that is about their own at least how I view it is it's about their own story and it's about how they're feeling and it's their you know they're probably feeling under attack in their own life in some way and it's very easy to sling hate to a stranger on the internet it's less easy to actually go out and do something so that kind of keeps me ground and I also balance that with okay am I also getting positive feedback so sometimes with Lex we might release um we kind of released a big rebrand earlier in the year and we got some online hate from people who didn't like it uh, and that was really, really upsetting for our team. And, you know, we, you know, it was, it was very hard for people because we were like, we're building this thing and we so care about who we're building it for and they don't like it. And how do we deal with that? But then equally, we had all of these messages in our inbox and all of these people who are leaving us reviews who are saying like, thank you so much for this thing. Thank you so much. And I think balancing that sometimes the angry voices are like louder than the ones that are giving you the praise and giving you the thanks. And as humans, we are, we're taught, we're kind of uh, 
you know, we we naturally turn towards the negative because it's you know if we're trying to protect us, I think it's like a you know an evolutionary tactic. So just so I'd say, yeah, to summarize, three things: one, it's okay to feel upset by those things; two, work out is this person someone's opinion that you actually need to pay attention to, and then three, like, is there also a, an is there also a another opinion that's like different to what this person is saying that is like giving you a different point of view that actually maybe you don't this thing isn't so important i really love that i just as you were describing the like the good reviews and bad reviews it made me think of a thing i did years ago at some sort of like leadership training where we had to get feedback candid but caring feedback from colleagues and they gave us highlighters and you highlighted every good thing that was said about you and everyone's sheets of paper were like at least like 80 percent highlighted and no one talked about any good good piece of feedback. We were just like all fixated on the the one thing that someone had pointed out that we like was an insecurity or like that like hit really deep and spent hours and hours struggling with that, completely ignoring all the highlighted pages we have because that's just how we are as people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really hard. I actually had um, when I was like going through my divorce, I actually had. I started getting online trolled and this is before I was CEO of Lex. I didn't even have a, a, a didn't even have a public profile. Um, but I had, I was getting continually all this negative stuff in my DMS on my comments on Instagram. Um, and it was really, really tough. <laughs> and it was this person was saying all of the things that, you know, my inside was when I, you know, when I went to sleep at night and wasn't in a good space, that it was like saying these things out loud and it can be really hard to focus on. Um, and then I actually found out that this person was somebody that I knew. It was actually the uh, girlfriend of a friend of my ex-husband. And, uh, and this is actually something that helps me when I now get online hate is it was this person that I knew that I thought I had a friendship with. And when I, and like, the more I found out about this story was this person actually wasn't just doing this to me. They were doing this to many other people, people that they knew, people they didn't know. And actually they were in, you know, they were, they, and that was, it wasn't actually in the end about me. It was like, this person was actually having a really tough time. And my, and as soon as I realized it was someone that I knew, I was able to be like, oh, ah, wow. How it just, I think it just switched everything for me. Cause suddenly, cause this was someone that I knew I had empathy for them. And I was like, oh, wow. For you to have been in a space where you felt you needed to go and say these things and put and, and go to the effort of like, writing these harsh words you must this that must be really tough for you like you must be in a space that is really difficult if like that's a way that is helped if that's serving you in some way and suddenly like I was able to like have compassion for this person um because I knew them and like I'd experienced them and then I could like understand them um so I think that was really helpful for me even now was when I think about you know, if I ever get mean words from a stranger on the internet, I'm like, oh, but that person could be someone like this other person that I knew who actually is really struggling. And like, that's just, those words they're writing to me is just an outlet for themselves to help them deal with whatever they're dealing with. So I think, yeah, another way of thinking about that is like having compassion for the person is also like one way of dealing with it. But it's hard. It can be hard. That's such a generous way of thinking about it because especially as someone who knew the person my instinct, I imagine, would be like, oh, have they always thought that way and only like chose to hide behind whatever avatar and post and comment, but to see their humanity as well and recognize like, oh, they are a person and, you know, it's mm-hmm. going through their own thing. That takes a lot of generosity. Yeah, I think I, 
I'm someone who's gone through my own things and I wouldn't want to be judged and I've taken actions that I'm not proud of and made mistakes and I wouldn't want to be judged on those on only those things so I guess I this in the part of me that compassion is selfish because I want to give it to myself and so I want to give it to other people too I really love that also of like there's something in there we all keep growing too which is Mm -hmm. the thing that I think about a lot these days of how especially online there's like this expectation that we are one thing or we have one opinion or we stand for one thing or we we air quote represent one one perspective and all of us contain multitudes and hopefully Mm -hmm. keep going and there's there's a an expectation almost that we're like we are an instagram post or we are a tweet or whatever it is where we're the static like moment in time right and we will always be compared to that bar that has been set at some point in our lives and it's just so impossible Mm -hmm. and i think it's you know sometimes say something like instagram sometimes i look back at posts of mine and i'm like oh that's so embarrassing i'm like it just i feel cringy i'm like well i can't believe i said that or i um and there's a part of me that wants to like hide that former version of me because it doesn't match with who i think i am now you know do i delete the post but i really try to just leave everything like my past is is the reason that i am where i am and if i try and like hide that or ignore it or like feel embarrassed about it then it's just not going to help me like be accepting of who I am now. So, but I definitely feel that I definitely am like, Oh my goodness. I can't believe I was like that. But in some ways I think that's beautiful because I think, okay, in five years time, maybe I'll like re-listen to this podcast and I'll be like, Oh my goodness, that was so embarrassing. I can't believe I was like that. Or I didn't learn this lesson. Um, but we're, as you say, we're, we're always growing and changing. And I think that's like, that's a gift. There's also something there of like the vulnerability it takes to see that and to keep it there. Right. Like, I'm going to let my like my five years ago self just exist as they were on the internet or in whatever space. No. And like that allows us to expect others to be human or see other people. Also, like you saw the person who left the comments, like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, that, that this is them in this moment in time. This is like, it's part of an arc. It's not just the entirety of them. Mm-hmm. Part of an arc. Yeah. That's really nice. So that leads me to, to my last question and um, thinking about like, you looking back to five years ago or 10 years ago or like 17 year old you um version of the person who's going to be listening to this or watching this and they're they're going through it in whatever way whether it's them feeling like they're they're trapped in boxes that don't fit them or they're trying to create space for for themselves in a world where they don't see others like them and knowing that we call this podcast the revolutions because the idea is that like there's so much that is systemic and bigger than all of us and change can come in how we live and in the daily things. It doesn't always have to be like this big giant thing that, that happens. Um, so what little things would you tell younger Jennifer to do or think about like, what are, what are the little revolutions there? Oh, that's a great question. I think it goes back in full circle to like put yourself out there in and that can be a really small way it can be sending a dm or it can be as simple as like telling someone how you feel or like sharing a thought that you've kept quiet until now um or it might be you know starting drawing if you really want to draw or you know find that way that you're if there's like a part of you that wants to say a thing or do a thing but you're holding back because you're afraid of 
rejection, which is really hard because we need to be in community with people. Like find a safe way or a person that you can like start to put that out there and then see how that feels and then go again. So yeah, I would say to 17 year old Jen to, yeah, to, to start to do that because that my personal experience is that when you start to put yourself out there and like show up and express who you are and whatever word that is, whether it's like work or life or relationships, that's the only way you can actually have connection with people. And if we hold back, cause we think that's going to allow us to have connection, that connection is only ever going to be like a, it's only going to be a connection with like a shallow version of yourself. You can only fully connect if you like fully let people see that. Connection requires bravery is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a much, much more succinct no, way I, of saying it. Thank you. <laughs> I like the way you said it. It's just that I'm reflecting back because I'm thinking about it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Anything else I should have asked you that I didn't? No, no, this is great. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Jen for this wonderful conversation. I left feeling so, so inspired. And I hope you are too. To learn more about Lex, Jen, and where you can follow her, check out our show notes.